Welcome to the Esports Economics Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Clark. And on this podcast, we break down business strategy and marketing for business owners and creators in the gaming and esports industries. All right, and we are live again for another episode of the Esports Economics Podcast. Super excited to have Adam Fitch, a business journalist over at Deserto, here with me. Adam, what's going on? I'm doing well, thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been trying to not do anything work-related on weekends for quite some time now. Uh, but to be honest with you, I've been missing it. So so when I when you said like we could do this on a weekend, I was like, okay, this is great. So actually, my whole day's been kind of building towards this point. So no pressure, but I'm expecting like the best chat I've had in a long time. Yeah, I was going to say no pressure then because you normally don't do work stuff in the weekend, whole day is building towards this. So I, I will not take this interview lightly, but just want to say, first of all, thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it's cr- pretty funny how this came about. You put out a tweet, don't be afraid to shoot your shot. So I was like, hey, you know what? Might as well shoot my shot, commented down below. And luckily we were able to make this happen. So super excited to dive into all this. I, I appreciate having me, mate. Yeah. And I, I just think it's an important message and look like the fact that you can just do it in public and like there's actually a bit more pressure on the person uh, to say yes actually if you do it publicly as well but um i, I don't know I, I think it's just a, it was an important message and when, when you said uh, okay let me do it and i was like okay well this is a perfect opportunity for me to to prove that it works you know but also like getting me on a podcast is not like some big grab like some huge victory or anything like that but uh not, nonetheless i'm flattered that that you want to speak to me for for whatever reason that may be Awesome. Well, just as we're getting into it, I know we don't want to spend a whole bunch of time just going through your entire life story, but just real quick for anyone who might not know who you are, just give us a quick rundown of your origin story, kind of how you got into journalism and esports and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, yeah. So I I think I think it was 2016, maybe late 2015, I decided to just start a blog, uh, literally, for, for no actual reason besides the fact that I just wanted to do it. Uh, I didn't think I'd ever be a writer. That was not anything I was aiming for in life. I was probably... Yeah um 20 21 years old and i was really into movies television shows and specifically like the marvel movies and such for whatever reason just a big nerd so i was like okay well i want to write about this stuff and i had a, a good friend at the time who was writing about writing about it for himself on his own blog and we just kind of created our own little site and and it was basically just replicating what we saw on like the big trade publications so hollywood reporter comicbook.com uh, deadline variety everything like that you know and and that's kind of how i built up just like my understanding of how an article is constructed and and the kind of things that'll be covered and then uh, after about a year of doing it i could delve into the analytics and kind of see what works and what didn't you know and and just naturally yeah. over time i was trying to um like optimize the content and work out the best times to publish and 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 the, the ways to format an article and, and it was never like breaking any stories or anything because i wasn't connected i didn't I, and anyway in like it's weird in the comic book industry there's not really any scoops there it's all in like the movie and, and television side and i'm certainly not like connected with universal and, and warner bros and, and disney and stuff right so i was just i just did that and i wrote about a thousand articles in the first year of me ever like really trying to write um and, and um i almost treat it as like a, a part-time job because i just enjoyed it that much so i would work my full-time job in marketing and then come home and um and then write and uh, that basically meant i slept four hours a night for the first year which was very true uh, and i do not recommend that by, by any means but um my mate basically uh, i'll truncate the story a bit the guy i was doing the website with writing content with um he got a paid opportunity at cbr which is comic book resources the second biggest comic book site uh, and a paid opportunity and i said look if you can get paid i can because i'm better than you so i applied 
uh, while he <laughs> I applied while I was all like drinking, having a party at mine actually, and they got back to me about an hour later saying, "Yeah, you can come on board." So that was my first taste of like writing for a, a like an actual publication that was making money and such and getting paid for it. Uh, and, and with esports, I've been following since like 2007, 2008. Um, okay. big on like the, the Call of Duty side um, because like playing playing with Optic and, and stuff like that back in the day. I never got into Optic when it was the sniping days, but I tried. Uh, a friend of mine did. Um, but uh, so, so I was aware of it from there. And then it was early 2018. I just Googled esports news uh, and then opened all the publications I found, found the email addresses for them all, cold email pitched and um, esports inside got back to me and said, yeah, we can you can do a trial. So I did, I did a two-week trial and um for whatever reason sam cook the, the managing director said yeah we'll keep you on uh and i started as a freelancer there and from that point so that was january 2018 um in may 2018 i went full-time writing so it went from zero to, to nothing in like four or five months uh it was very quick and and somehow now i've ended up here and i'm like three years down the line I, it's, it's all been a bit of a blur Love that. Love that. Now in that very quick kind of rise from zero to, to going full time, like what were some of the biggest lessons you learned? <clears throat> Bloody hell. That's a very good question. Um, I never, never think that, you know, it all it is something that's huge because, because I've been paid. I, I kind of had a chip on my shoulder at first. Like, Oh, I know what I'm doing here. Like uh, I've done it now. I've been paid for it. So I'm, I'm successful yeah. and I know what's what. And then, then you, you it's, it's very humbling entering a new industry and trying to cover an, an entirely new topic, you know. And also, I was like the weekend editor at Cybersport, which ended up closing, but a lot of good journalists were there, and um, they covered all, all of the main esports, right? So there's a the CSGO, there's Dota, there's League of Legends, and there may be a couple of couple of others in there. So I had a very steep learning curve, and there was actually no room of like after the first day for me to even think that I, I knew it all. So I was very open to everything and I just delved into everything. Even if I, even if I was wrong on something, my, uh, I'd, there'd be an editor there or, or somebody I can speak to and that would help me out. So I'd say that. And also networking. Um, I wouldn't have got many of the opportunities that I did if I didn't put myself out there and speak to people and become friends with them and just reply to their tweets and follow them and, and like the tweets and stuff, you know, just like making myself known. So when the opportunity did arise where I applied or they had open spots, there was at least a bit of familiarity there. So it wasn't just like a, a complete cold email. Um, and and that, that was it. You, I just literally shot like shot, shot my shot. That's a very yeah. weird, awkward, awkward way of putting it, but I shot my shot and it, it worked out. So um, I, I know not everybody gets that lucky uh, and doesn't and don't get all the opportunities they go for, but um, I actually pretty much did to, to begin with. Uh, and there's probably plenty of reasons for that that I'm not even aware of. Um, but... Yeah, I, I, it was just, I, I'd say like networking is a huge thing. Being open to, to learning uh, is another another huge thing. And and, um, and and they're probably the two things that that drove me to, towards where I am now and actually finding out like the business of esports was the part that interested me instead of like League of Legends or something, you know, because I tried it all and I found what, what, um, what worked for me and I stuck with it. Got you. And then as you transitioned from the comic book industry to esports, what changed there? Like, were there, are there any like differences that you notice in, in like writing styles or how you put together your articles or, or anything like that? Yeah, I, I'd say like the, um, my role at CBI was basically just like regurgitating BS and like almost clickbait. It was almost just like, <laughs> oh my God, did, did this character just show up in this show? You know what I mean? And then you yeah. like you pad it to a thousand <laughs> words or whatever. And cause I was getting paid by um, views and stuff. So you need to make it as vague as possible. And, I think maybe page time was a metric, so you needed to like store the answer at the bottom. So that was like 
very advanced in the, in the clickbait realm of things. But <clears throat> at the beginning with esports, it wasn't as developed, uh, I'd say, in, in that way. It was it was very, ma- like at least for esports inside, it was very matter-of-fact, here's what happened, and, and, and yeah. that's it. And it was less speculation and more just reporting on what had actually happened and not saying, oh my God, has Faker teased a move to blah, blah, blah. It was never anything like that. It was just... Um, SK Gaming has partnered with Mercedes-Benz or something, you know, and, and writing about that. So I'd say like um, comic book, um, well, CBR, the comic book website was very speculative and very sensationalist, whereas esports was very matter of fact. And now um, you look at like Deserto, for example, I think they've probably taken the best bits from all the most effective bits from the comic book industry and, and similar industries that know how to hook you into an article. But also they, they we do try a Deserto um to to give you the, the facts of course and actually be um actually deliver on the promise of what the headline is, well what, yeah. what the headline is promising right um so so i'd say yeah it's just two very different approaches and there's also just no no kind of scoops or actual kind of investigative journalism in in like the comic book side of things when i was there at least makes sense now i'm very curious to dive into your just general writing approach for getting these articles done as someone who does a bit of writing myself nowhere near the thousand articles in the first year that you had mentioned a few minutes ago but um doing articles here and there about one a week i'm curious to know what does that process look like and let's start from just the brainstorming and researching side of things like how mm-hmm. does an idea for a new article come about <sighs> Yeah, that's that's a very good question. In fact, I actually don't know. I was actually thinking about this the other day. I was like, why? Because I, I, I do like a weekly column at, at Deserto, right? So I was thinking to myself, yeah. like, okay, I need to do one. I need to do one today. What am I going to write about? Um, and I tend to actually just look back at my tweets is the first thing I do, like anything, because uh, my Twitter approach is kind of like, I will just talk about whatever I find interesting at the time and I'll put it out there okay. and, and that's it. And I can always revisit it and explore and update the idea. So I, I tend to do that. Uh, I also use Notion um, to start anything that, that comes to mind as well. So like uh, between Twitter and Notion, like my entire, like the landscape of my mind uh, is is documented. Um, though I do find when I'm kind of doing it in a lucid way where I'm just plunking down an idea quickly, um, it's not fleshed out. And thus when, it, when you come back to it, it may not make complete sense to you, right? So um, mm-hmm. I, I think it depends on the article uh, because if it's an investigative piece, obviously there's no real creativity on my side that needs to be done. If it's um, a follow-up to a news piece, then like that's informed by whatever the story is. If it's like Astralis partnering with Garmin, then I know I want to ask questions about like the wearable wearables tech industry coming into mm-hmm. esports and what they've actually done to accommodate esports instead of just saying it's an esports um, version of the Garmin. You know, so like that's informed by the story itself. But yeah, when it comes to more like a, an opinion piece or a feature, um, I, I I don't have like a show by a way of like explaining how ideas come to me because I don't know how my brain works. I just know that yeah. I'll look at a story or I'll see a tweet uh, from somebody else and I'll just kind of, my, it'll just ping into my brain and I'm like, okay, I need to write that down. And sometimes it'll connect with me later on and sometimes it won't. But uh, I, don't, I tend mm-hmm. to even document what may be like poor ideas or uh, Ill, ill-fleshed out ideas because you can maybe come to them later and it'll make more sense. Because like you can only ever connect to the dots when you look in hindsight right like you have to look backwards yeah. to connect the dots like things don't always make sense until they make sense and then you can understand everything going backwards so while i may have like a, a really nascent uh, uninformed 
uh, idea initially. Um, if I've had a conversation with someone a week later, or if I've read some tweets that makes sense, or read an article outside of the industry or something, maybe I can put it in some sort of context that's interesting. And also another another good way, um, this is actually a good bit of advice, I think, is like no idea is really original anymore. So yeah. if you want to write an article about um, something to do something to do with esports, look at what's been done in another industry and how how you can apply that kind of topic or that angle to esports and and um i'm not saying copy it but once you get the the gist of, of the article and direction you'll tend to fill in the blanks for yourself and you know how to apply it to your topic of choice um so so i tend to do that quite a bit now i'm, I'm looking outside of the industry a lot more just to learn in general and then i can bring that kind of thesis or that kind of idea to esports potentially and that might help me see it in a different way or it might help confirm what i actually think and either way i've got a potential article idea there that makes a lot of sense. And interestingly, I was interviewing someone else two days ago. He's a YouTube content creator. I don't know if you know him, Salvation's Elite. He's a COD content creator. Mm -hmm. It's like 40K subs or something. And he actually mentioned that like same exact topic or same exact um, tactic in terms of YouTube, like looking at what other genres are doing in certain formats, certain topics, and seeing how you can apply that to esports, the Call of Duty scene and whatnot. So love that. Now, what's an example? Do you have an example of a time that you maybe applied that? Um, without looking back, nothing comes to mind, but I could I could look okay. back very quickly right now. And, and um, so if I go to my columns, I'm sure there is one. Um, in fact, like, so I did like a, a Mr. Beast article the other day, and yeah. that's actually kind of, kind of inspired by um, like Joe Pompliano, who's like, um, he writes a newsletter and tweets a lot yeah. about like sports business. And he just tends to, to break things down and, and try and um, demystify where the money is in sports. And I'm slowly trying to expand more into like the uh, creator economy and like, um, Makes sense. like just YouTube creator influencer side of things. Cause it's like inextricably linked to esports anyway. Um, and I, 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 um, so I'm trying to get, come to grips with that and understand that. So I was like, okay, how about I try and understand what makes up this industry and, and the kind of uh, in, like revenue streams these people have by literally going to take a look. So I pick like the gold standard right now, which is Mr. Beast, uh, probably off of the back of the Mr. Beast burger was why he was in mind, you know, cause that's very interesting. Um, and I, I tried to just break it down. So I went through and wrote notes of everywhere I could see where he could be pulling money in from. Um, and I could have done like a thread, like, like the pumps do, but in, instead I was like, well, this makes sense as an article because I, I get paid to write articles. Right. Um, yeah. and that's very much like DeSerto's MO, like that's very much their, their perfect style of content. So, um, it, it kind of worked out and that's the most recent example I can think of. And if you look at my, um, like my columns on, on DeSerto, my weekly columns, you probably see that a lot of them are not my idea by any means. I've just applied it to to the context of esports and, and somewhat gaming at large. Got you. Now, once you have that idea in mind, you have a topic you want to write about, what does the writing process look like? What is that for that process of getting that first draft out on, out on paper, out onto the, the mm -hmm. screen, the word document look like? I'd say an article is like 80% finished before I even started writing it at this point for me. So maybe 75%, 80%, I don't know how to like quantify that, but like a good yeah. portion of it, right? Like the, the overwhelming majority. And that's because um, what, what I'll do is when I have this idea uh, and, and I, I, I think I'm ready to write about it, the first thing I do is like break it down as much as possible. So if it's, um, I don't know, like the, the, the future of esports organizations or something like that, I, I would list 
um, what the kind of status quo is for an org- organization right now, just like bullet points, um, what the status quo is right now, what we can kind of see and, and what I expect to happen in the future. And I'll list all things that all of those things down. And then underneath, I can write a description of why I think this is the case or how I know this is the case at the moment and, um, and flesh it out that way. So when it comes to actually putting together the article, I've actually got my arguments written out for me and the general structure of how I want it to go. So it's just a case of fleshing things out and, and tying the topics together. And you can almost treat it as like a puzzle or jigsaw or like switch things around if need be to, to like fit them into the perfect spot. But uh, I, te- yeah. I tend to break it down really granularly now. So um, my arguments are fully made um, before I even start writing. Though sometimes there, I do find there is there is some merit in just getting going entirely into a flow state and not thinking about it and just having a stream of consciousness and see what what hits the page. And when you snap out of it, see if any of it's salvageable or any, any of it can be polished up. Um, but I would say, admittedly, a lot of it is more pre-planned kind of arguments for and against my point, uh, which I think helps give it a more well-rounded view. And I can poke holes in it before I've actually finished writing it. Uh, and thus, I, I write something a bit more solid and substantial, I think, rather than yeah. finishing 1,000 words or 2,000 words and then realizing, oh, I've completely missed something here. You know, So I, I break it down a lot and then just fill in the gaps and tie it together, basically. And then when you're doing this, kind of branching off a little bit, um, do you have a routine in place? Do you have like a, a ritual or something you do like to kind of get in the zone and write? Or is it kind of just a situation where you yeah. just feel it and you get it done? Um, I've seen both approaches. So I'm curious to hear uh, what your approach is to that. My entire ritual, like when I'm about to, when I'm about to write, like I need to pump out this article. I've got an hour left, deadline, whatever. I will go grab my 2.2 liter bottle of water absolute mainline as much as i can so i know i'm hydrated because i'm not going to be thinking about water while i'm writing and i want to make sure i'm good i uh i go on youtube or spotify and i get a um a playlist a flow state playlist it's called which is just like some bullshit sounds in the background which um the thing is they're not melodic but there's a bit of something to them so like yeah, uh, I, I don't I don't concentrate on the music. I'm just kind of zoned out from it. Uh, I found like music with lyrics, for example, uh, especially if I know the song, that's going to throw me off entirely. So I, I will absolutely guzzle water down. I will uh, maybe get a little bit of a stretch going first and I'm going to be sat down for a while. And then um, and then I get the music on and uh, I, I will look at the notes and I'll start flushing them out. And then from there, I can build the article out. That, that's it. I don't have anything too fancy. Uh, I just found that there's a lot of distractions going on. So I don't have anything open that I don't need to have. So Twitter is definitely a no go. Uh, my phone is across the room because any yeah. notification that I get on there will distract me. And I, I know, I, I know it will because I, I, I just can't help myself the moment. Like you feel the, the vibration or like you hear the ping. It's like, okay, I need to check what that is. It's just instant. So I have to keep that preferably in another room and um, have no distraction basically. And then hope I get into the flow state. Hope, hope I can get into the zone. <laughs> and, and if not, yeah then it's very frustrating and I don't have an answer for what I do from there. I probably just like get really angry at myself and, and go take a, a three minute walk and come back to, you know, uh, yeah, I certainly don't have it down to a science. I wish I could, I wish I could really hack into like productivity and know the best way for me to be, um, like the best way for me to approach work and, and know that if I sit down these next 45 minutes, I'm not going to do anything but right. But I think like inspiration comes in bursts, uh, and motivation does as well. And I try not to rely on that. So I will sit down and do it anyway, because of the discipline, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll, some of the time it just won't come to me. And from there, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> basically, I, I'm not the perfect uh, worker, but I'm, I'm trying. 
Well, it sounds like physical physical health is a pretty big priority in terms of creativity. Like, for example, you had mentioned mm-hmm. sleep. I've seen you post a few times on, on Twitter about the importance of sleep, like linking to a few podcasts. The I think the, the one with Matthew Walker. Have you read his book, by the way? It's a really good book. I'm reading it on the Kindle. Like I was reading it before this, and I'll be reading it after this. I'm thoroughly enjoying awesome. it. It's one of the, like he's one of those yeah. guys where every everything he says and everything he right? It just blows my mind. It's like I turn, I turn the page and my, my mind is blown again. And I've forgotten the last thing that just blew my mind. It's, uh, it's, it's insane. And I thought I knew quite a bit about sleep until I started reading that book, mate. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. What have you, what have you noticed? Cause I know you had mentioned you were on four hours of sleep that first year, really grinding and just getting out content after content after content. Have you noticed a difference in the quality of your content since you've kind of prioritized getting better sleep and kind of taking better care of your body versus just falling into the grind? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I think what, what actually is interesting is the ch- the changes are a, an improvement in my life outside of work, but it's, it's related to work, right? Because I, yeah. the more I look after myself, like I'm still going to get the work done because that's how I am. And, and I I don't like kind of rate my work based on the past. I can't be like, well, that was a six, this is a 10. So I can't say there's like a, a tangible improvement. But so like last year, I really sorted out my my, my sleep. I really sorted out my, my health. So I lost like, I think like 70 pounds or something like that. And yeah, thank you very much. Just out every day walking and such. Like if I had a call, I would just go for a walk quickly or something, you know? Yeah. And, and I find that like we, we stare at screens way too much, I find. Um, and it, it's not too helpful, right? And, and if you go out and if you just switch your mind off for a bit and you come back and actually uh, you're ready to apply yourself, I, I, I find it easier. But... I, I've I've always been kind of a workhorse, so like I can no matter the conditions, I can sit there and work realistically. Um, yeah. But on four hours, you're kind of on autopilot. You're, you're all, all like you're, there's a lot of resistance. You're almost like fighting against the brain fog and the kind of fatigue, uh, and and thinking you're being more productive because you're working more hours. But those hours are probably aren't your best hours, right? So I had to switch my mindset, like thinking productivity was the amount of hours in instead of the amount of quality work you put in during the hours so i've probably gone from i don't don't know how many hours i'd work in a week say 80 or something like that to like chop that in half or maybe even a little a little bit more of a chop right Uh, so maybe down to like 35 40 hours and um but because i'm well rested and i'm not just looking thinking about the same topics all of the time because i'm not just doing the same shit day in day out um there's more variety there i i've got more interesting things again because i truly hated esports like like halfway through no actually like the beginning of last year i despised esports because i was around it all the time i'd go on twitter i'd see it all the time i'd for leisure time i'd just play games like i would just eat shit and i would not go do any sort of exercise and um so i actually feel better overall in life because of these changes and that i think um is works a big part of your life right if you work eight hours a day that's a third of your life you're working. So overall, I think it's just about achieving a, a, a better balance. I think I still do decent work either way. Unfortunately, I wish I was absolutely trash on no sleep because that would mean I'd never <laughs> ever go back to that life. You know, yeah. but uh, I, I can slog it out um, and to the quality. I imagine my work's better. And I think also some of that's attributable to the experience I've gained over time and the people I've worked with and my perspective and such, you know. So it's hard to say 100% like sleep, sleeping better and looking after myself has made my work better on its own. But overall, um, like things are so much better for me and, and, uh, 
I, I would not. I'd try my best not to go back to the gen- degenerate lifestyle of like four hours sleep again. Now, what are some of those things that you do besides esports? Because I I agree with you. It's very easy to get caught up because we love what we do. So you want to be following it a lot of the time, and it's easy to justify constantly refreshing Twitter, constantly watching YouTube videos on it, writing mm-hmm. articles on it, doing videos on it. Um, and it's difficult to kind of shift the way. But what are some of those? topics or interests that you have outside of esports that have kind of helped you uh switch your brain off of esports mode for a bit yeah so i i'd say i go through like i i do things in extremes so i do like extreme work and then i'll do like extreme relaxation so um if i if i'm not working i'm either doing like something like i'm trying to beat my 5k record in a run or something like that. i'm like trying to run my fastest 5k that i can or i'm going on like a five hour walk or something ridiculous so i i spend a lot of time just trying to get out of my mind and and just out there instead and, and kind of switch off that way uh if not you're probably fine I, I try to sleep eight nine hours a day now so that's a lot of my day gone um yeah. uh, meditation is a big thing for me reading is a big thing for me um listening to the podcasts that I actually want. I think a lot of them are just kind of fluff as some ones that are actually really actionable though. So I, I've tried, I try to identify the ones that I'm interested in and not just flock to the people that I like listening to over and over. I'm trying to experience new things all the time and, and broaden my horizons there. And um, so I'd say like getting a Kindle has definitely been a really good purchase for me because I'm just buying books willy nilly now, ones I would never buy if I would own them physically. Um, and, yeah. and reading is a is a huge a huge huge part of my life now and i wish i could read like four hours a day if i could just do that like that would be and, and run and then sleep that would be absolutely great but uh <laughs> unfortunately i'm not at that point yet i need some more passive income for that but um so yeah i i, t- I tend to just do i guess it's a lot of inf- trying to find information and trying to switch off uh and, and the things that tie into those elements are what i flock to especially after last year before it was just gaming 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 uh, a lot of the time like two three years ago from 13 years old up until like 23 uh it was just a lot of that but um yeah as i say like i was around gaming in esports so much i just started to to not like it anymore so i, I had to find something new and then those things interest me like to no end um and it's just, the thing is, there's just so much out there. Inf- it seems like an infinite amount of books. At this point, it seems like an infinite amount of podcasts and, and YouTube videos. Um, so I don't, I don't think I'll ever run out. So as long as I've got like a thirst for interest, which I hope I uh, a thirst for interest, a thirst for information. Sorry, an interest for yeah. information. Uh, I'm, I'm all over that basically. Just trying to learn and be better. I'm trying to be as smart as you, Tommy. <laughs> I, I don't know about all that, but I, I appreciate it. I'll, I'll take the compliment. Um, awesome. And I, I, I love that. And I think it's super important. I think it's important for a lot of creatives and, and writers and, and just content creators in general to, to hear that because there's so much out there that would make you think that you need to be grinding all the time. Like if you're not mm-hmm. grinding, someone else is like coming after you. And yeah. it might be true, but that's not a healthy way to live. So I, I really appreciate you diving into that. Now, kind of getting back into your writing process, once you have mm-hmm. that first draft out the way, what does the editing process look like? It kind of sounds like editing is part of the first draft process anyway, because you have so much of it done in the in the pre-work yeah. and research and brainstorming. But is there anything else that you do to edit the article, make it flow a little better, uh, polish it up before you hit publish? Yeah, I, I'm going to be completely honest with you right here. I I try to avoid like the pitfalls of chasing perfection and thinking, oh, I can keep iterating this this draft and eventually it'll become the perfect article that I'm really happy to publish. So I, because of my like detailed approach to most articles, by the time I fleshed it out, 
Uh, I know I've already yeah. hit the main points, um, and I, I'm I'm lucky to have like a, a bunch of editors at Deserto. So what happens is when I when I'm like when I'm happy uh, that I've written the draft as such, I'll just hand it straight over at this point. Like, and that's okay. not the, probably it's definitely not the best practice, and I definitely won't recommend it to new writers. Um, but that that the editors are more removed from the article than I. Uh, I if I've been really really immersed in it then it's hard for me to see outside of it. Um, so they, like an outside perspective, can can really help strengthen the piece. So um, if they're going through it and say, yeah, well, you haven't mentioned this bit or this paragraph makes no sense, you could reword it this way, whatever. Like that's more helpful than me trying to do it because I'm only going to find like major tw- uh, minor tweaks at this point. So I, yeah, I wouldn't advise a lot of people to do it, but just where I am, I found this works for me is I... I get the first draft done, and that is also basically my final my yeah, final version. And I just disconnected for some reason. Give me one okay. sec. Um, wouldn't would it wouldn't be a podcast recording without tech issues, wouldn't it? Of course, mate. Of course, it, it has to happen. All right, let me just triple check. All right, go ahead and say something. I think we should be good. Okay, I'm speaking as you say, and yeah, I I, um, oh, I, I definitely yeah, don't. We're all... Okay, yeah, I, I don't recommend people doing it, but I, I just think like for me, because I've gone, I've written so many articles at this point, I kind of know my style, I know my voice and such, so I never have to worry about that anymore. Uh, and I just try to avoid like perfectionism because you'll never actually reach it anyway. You'll just keep iterating and get lost, and then actually grow tired of the. Um, the subject that you're writing about because you've been around it too much. Um, so I just chuck it out there. Same with like videos and stuff. I do the exact same thing. I think of an idea, I speak about it, I put it out. Or I get someone on in the, in the podcast, uh, I record it in Zoom. I don't try to be perfect about it. And then it gets straight uploaded. I don't edit anything out. Um, so things may not be perfect, but I'm a lot more productive that way. And plus, uh, if if there is a really bad article that comes out, um, then, then I can revisit it at that point. But I've been doing that for about a year now, and and no one's come and said, "Adam, mate, the shit, the stuff you're producing is absolutely dire." You know, <laughs> so I, I think I think it's working for me. But I do recommend yeah. people go over it a couple of times, and, and especially get an outside POV if possible. So if you haven't got an editor, if you're not working at a publication, then um, maybe like a family member or something. Because what you want is you want your writing to be able to be understood by basically anyone. Uh, that the people who aren't good writers basically write as if they're putting together an essay. The, the good writers are the ones who break it down simply where anyone can kind of understand what you're getting at, in my opinion, at least. That's what I think a, a good writer does. Um, so, uh, well, obviously it depends, but like in the sphere we're in, definitely you don't need yeah. to be uh, writing an essay by any means or trying to be the next Shakespeare or something like that. So um, an outside POV where like your mom or your auntie or dad, whoever could be like, well, I don't understand this bit okay, maybe you could explain that a bit better, just put a little qualifying word in, in front of it. So if you say like a team, a team, blah, 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 and then go into the name, instead of just saying Space Station Gaming, you could say like professional gaming team or something like that. And that provides a little bit more context and, and, and um, avoids any semblance of confusion that can come out of it. Uh, so outside POVs are probably the, the biggest thing for me, uh, uh, especially like advising newer writers. Makes sense. Now, um like you said, it's important to make sure like your audience can understand it and you're not trying to be too complex. I think every writer has gone through at least a, somewhat of a phase there where oh God, yes. writing, you're writing to impress other writers rather to, than to actually get the point across to your reader. Um, I'm curious though, 
who would you say is Deserto's um, primary audience? So like, is it the hardcore esports fan or is it like the casual esports fan or is it even people outside of esports trying to bring them into the esports ecosystem? Yeah, the, um, so while I don't have access to to analytics, I will say like that yeah. the primary audience is is the gaming fan, the the everyday gaming fan and internet like okay. young internet user. Uh, like esports is definitely a part of what they do, but I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying it's not it's not the primary driver of um, traffic or revenue. It's just um, like it's it's important for us to do it. I think because that's where that's where Deserto started. And that's the industry we're in. But um, as a as a reason, if you go on the website at any given time, you'll probably see in the featured panel where there are six articles. You'll probably see like two or three esports and two or three are general gaming or like internet culture pieces. Uh, so as much as we'll cover like the Blast uh, Premier Global Finals, you'll also see like TikTok stars like doing weird shit, you know. Uh, <laughs> and that's, that's not necessarily stuff I'm into, so I don't pay attention too much. But um, the, yeah, it's, it's it's so much wider than than just esports, and that's where a lot of publications are, are going wrong, in my opinion. They're just trying to focus on the competition, com- competitive side of things, and the, the the readership just isn't there right now. So they they rightfully basically cover everything. Uh, but I, I I imagine and I think um, it's uh, the young internet user is the primary audience, which is obviously a very big potential audience if you can tap into that. Definitely. Now, once you have the article written, uh, first draft's done, editing's done, you got the green light from the editor, Where, at what point during this process do you come up with headline? Do you do it after you're all done, before you start? Depends on the article. What's your approach there? And how do you kind of iterate the headline to, again, like you mentioned earlier, strike that balance between not too clickbaity, but also intriguing enough to actually get the click? Because, I mean, you and I can both acknowledge that is important when you're doing this stuff. For sure, yeah. A lot of people think Deserto is clickbait, but actually they're just writing headlines well because they're drawing you in, but there's no misinformation yeah. there. They're not like... It's, that's the thing. is They've got a really bad reputation for just doing things well. Um, and it obviously works because a lot of people read this stuff, right? But um, in terms of headlines, uh, if it's like a, a column piece, then basically I my column's built normally around a, a singular idea. So it could be like um, esports fans don't exist or... Uh, again, like the future of esports isn't competition, and then and then I it's up to me to kind of chop that down and and work out what I'm getting out from there. So for the columns, my headlines tend to stay the same because it's just like a a short, snappy, somewhat controversial or striking statement, um, and that's what I built my idea around anyway. Because my column is is basically supposed to just be like a hot a hot take from me uh, explained well, right? So. From there, it doesn't change much, but on like a general article basis, whether I'm like interviewing a bunch of people, or I was exploring why um, like esports organizations are rebranding a lot recently, for example. Uh, I have the general gist of where I want to go with it, but I, I find uh, so I find like having the general headline helps to keep me focused and help uh, like guide me and make sure I'm, in, I'm on the right tracks and covering the main topic. But I will I will tinker with it afterwards. And um, Deserto has actually got a really good uh, process where we kind of like crowdsource the ideas for headlines. So um, there's like 70 of us in this Slack who all write as a, as a big team. And you pop it in a chat and um, say, what do you think of this idea? I was thinking this because the article's about this, blah, 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 blah. And they'll kind of help iterate on that. So again, it's, a, it's about making sure that you're explaining explaining the contents well, but not giving away the answer. I think so. It's like almost like 
sparking some intrigue and leaving leaving the actual answer out of it so they have to go and read what it is so i th- there is an art to it i myself haven't figured it out yet like i was a very boring article headline writer at esi um so like which was where i was for like the first two and a half years or something right so i'm, I'm still trying to work out what the perfect headline is uh but again like the outside the outside um voices help a lot but um it's just striking a balance as i say between like intrigue and, and information i think um and I, I can't i honestly can't take credit for my headlines and and my headlines may be trash but uh <laughs> you know I, I like to think like at the point at this point i've built enough kind of reputation around myself at least for the people that follow me for a while to know that no matter the headline like they want to yeah. read it as long as like the 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 main concept is somewhat of interest to them i hope so maybe i don't rely on it as much as i could have or maybe should have maybe i should really work on that and take like a course on headline writing or ask like um all my bosses at deserto to really break it down for me because it's gonna be like a perfect length and everything like that i think like we aim for like 73 characters at most something like that. that's probably for like google search results and and um like displaying it on on twitter and such um but yeah i wish i had the answer mate i wish i knew exactly how to do it because i'd probably be out on my own just like independent raking in hundreds of thousands of a year just off of like the best headlines you know there you go. It's funny you mentioned the esports fans don't exist headline because when I, I was doing some research for the podcast and I was looking through like some of the articles you written, and that was one that popped. I actually read the article, um, and, and the headline was what drew me in. So yeah, to, if, you, if that means anything, uh, that headline was really good in my opinion because uh, it definitely got my attention. That's but, that's the thing though. It's, it's like it's creating intrigue because it's like, well, this is bullshit. Obviously, there are esports fans, yeah. but okay. Yeah. So why is he saying this? I need to find out because like if, if you feel strongly enough about it you're going to want to read it right and that was just genuinely that 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 there was not a headline i did after after the fact that was like i was thinking about how fragmented the scene is and i see mm-hmm. a lot of people always say like uh, i'm an esports fan or fan of esports or like blah 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 blah, blah like and I, it's never really sat too well with me because i'm just like okay so you follow every esport like you're a fan of like all like 30 40 50 titles we've got probably not um so yeah, it was actually, that was just the main premise I had in my head and I just kind of stuck with it. Uh, the the um, colleagues of mine at Deserto were fine with it, uh, I, I guess, because, yeah, it's shot and snappy and I, I drew you in. So uh, I'm yep. sure it drew other people in as well, you know. Awesome. Now, what does the process look like when you're co-authoring an article? Like I've seen a few articles that you've written that have like, th- there's two authors on like um, credited on the article. Um, what does that process look like? Oh really? I don't think I don't think I've ever done one. Are you looking on Muckrack? Yeah, I was looking there, and there were there were like a yeah. few where two names were listed. So I don't know if you co-authored one. Or you could or no. That, that was so so we, Muckrack is a little bit messed up, and I think that okay. that's probably sometimes bringing in um, like the person who had edited the article as well. So if oh, their user profile has been seen in it, it might be associated that way. So I actually haven't done it. It's something I'm interested in doing. In fact. Um, because I've never done it, and I just want to—I want to learn. And yeah. um, th- there, there was at one point I thought somebody was coming to join Deserto who didn't end up coming to join Deserto, but I was very interested in the concept of like working with them on a few articles, which uh, obviously never came into fruition because they they went elsewhere. Uh, their loss, by the way, because well, just their loss. I'm I'm not going to be too too detrimental i'll give anything away there but there was a there was a person i was really interested in working with who um i will not have the opportunity to do so now and i wanted to co-author with them but i've, I've never really done so uh but i'd say a lot of my pieces are collaborative in the sense that i'm 
I'm having to work with other people to get it over the finish line, whether that's getting comments from people or just um, it's based on a chat that I've had with someone else and we've kind of helped flesh out each other's yeah. ideas or disprove or prove some points. Um, but in terms of actually putting the article together itself, I, I haven't actually done it, mate. I'm a bit of a noob in that sense. So uh, I, I can't offer any advice there. Okay, got you. Yeah, no, except, yeah, I was looking at Muckrack and I, I saw the names listed. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what, yeah. that, what I yeah, wonder what <laughs> But um, once you have the article done, it's published, do you have any input on the way the article is promoted? Do you have any uh, insight onto how that what that approach looks like, how you guys put on Twitter, on other platforms, like what does that process look like? Yeah, this is the, this is like the least um, sexy answer of all time, but we have a, um, a channel in the Slack called tweet checker where we say, do we want to tweet this out? Because we've got like, um, so it's like the, like the DeSerto network where it's like 12 different, maybe 15 different channels. So as some for, for FIFA, Fortnite, Apex, Valorant, blah, 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 blah. And um, and then there's the main Deserto one as well. Now, because my my content is business content, uh, it typically would go on the Deserto one, and and that's it. It's not going to go like on a FIFA uh, Twitter, for example. So you go in and say, "Do we want to tweet this?" And uh, there's the senior editors and and such there who know um, exactly how they want to go about things, and and they will say yes. And if so, you suggest some copy, and then that's it. And again, it's just, it's the same kind of thing with like um, the headline. It's it's about trying to entice them in, giving them enough of a hook to where they want to kind of get an answer or see see why they're thinking or their their opinion on something is being challenged uh, in, in the sense of my my content at least uh, or if it's like um i don't know scump is potentially retiring blah blah, blah like you, you want to you don't want to say oh, if he if he mentions like retiring next season you wouldn't in the tweet say scump is retiring this season he said so on this podcast blah blah blah, blah and spill all the beans in the tweet you'd say like yeah. you, you scump has revealed when he will finish competing and then you're going to want to click and see when that is, right? So it's just about, yeah, like giving enough information, but also creating some sort of intrigue. And, and for me, like when I was at Esports Insider, I was the editor, which also meant because we were quite understaffed, to be honest with you, that I was also like the social media manager. So that was that there was a really bad way of doing it. I'd take the headline and that would be the first part of the tweet. And then I'd take a quote or a bit of secondary information and that would be uh, a separate paragraph and then there'd be a link underneath it. And I don't think that was the best way of doing it whatsoever. But uh, I wasn't a hired social media manager in that sense. Um, so it was just a case of I had to just get it out quickly and move on to the next thing. So, so that was that. And now I'm, I'm, I'm pretty lazy slash fortunate where I've got a little bit of a following and the people who want to read my stuff just follow me. So I'll just tweet it out myself. I'll be like, uh, do eSports fans actually exist? I don't think so. And that's it. Like it's, <laughs> Again, it's just like very much like part, part of my brand, I guess. It's just being pretty blunt. So I can get away with just being yeah. blunt in a tweet now. I think instead of going, okay, guys, just push publish a new article. Everyone go read it. That doesn't actually help <laughs> at all. I don't think it's just like, yeah, no, esports fans don't exist. Don't believe, don't believe me. Like read this. You'll find out why I say that and you will not be able to argue with it. Something like that would be so much more, so much more convincing for someone to read. Um, and then I'll sometimes pop it on LinkedIn as well, but that's just because it's business content. I don't, I don't think all content really suits that too well. Uh, to be honest with you, like I wouldn't put a, a FIFA, like team of the week article on LinkedIn, you know, so that's very subjective, but um, yeah, I, I'd say most publications do it their own way. Um, and so even personally, people share things their own way. I don't think there is a right or wrong way. It's maybe just worth um, checking the analytics of, of how things go. Right. But also you've got to consider that some articles are naturally going to be more appealing than others and, and same with the tweets. So you can kind of get, again, you can look around and steal some formats and, and 
like tinker with them a bit from from other people you see and and see what works for you really have you had success on linkedin with content or is it more just like you you write an article and you just kind of copy paste it or what do you have a specific approach there my my approach before was creating like quite a detailed post um and then okay. just embedding it at the bottom so i'd probably copy the first two or three paragraphs because i know i'm like building the argument there and then just like tailor it a little bit so it's maybe less specific and more open-ended but now uh and i don't know why this is but i was just like i, I really can't be asked just trying to sell myself on linkedin but it is another channel so now i'll, I'll just do the same kind of tactic as i do on twitter uh, i just keep it very natural and and if the headline and image and stuff are, are done correctly i guess people are going to see it on their feed and, and want to click so before it used to be some sprawling like this is really why you should read this and now it's just like this opinion is a matter of fact that is it like this is it like i've i've written yeah. this and then and then um it's been going super well actually i don't know what it is like the past two or three months on linkedin everything i put out is just like building um it's building upon the last one and and getting more more shares more likes more comments uh, i get a lot of angry dms as well which is always nice um from like the linkedin grifters who think they know esports but don't actually know anything yeah. about it you know uh, and because i do challenge them quite a bit so uh again like my strategy there has just changed i don't recommend it for everyone but like now i'm just like because i've built myself up to a little i've got a little bit of authority in the industry a tiny bit like my voice means a little bit of something so i'm just i'm just leaning leaning into that and maybe treating myself as as like more importantly than i actually am and because uh, like the way you treat yourself and the way you present yourself to the world is somewhat how they'll they'll it'll reflect back on you so if i treat myself like a really big deal and like i never take time for anyone no one can ever get in touch with me like i only ever put my my stuff out there and that's it people will treat me that way um and so likewise if if you seem like a really giving person a really friendly person more people are likely to reach out and try and have a conversation and and want to engage with you right so it's just about how you, how you frame yourself. And um, that is something I'm trying to work out exactly how I present myself online. But um, for, for now, it's just like, yeah, this is my opinion, but it's pretty much a fact at this point in my eyes. So like, what are you going to do about it? If you disagree, let's, let's have it. Let's have a chat. And uh, I'll, leave it, I'll leave it there. It's a, almost a bit cocky, to be fair. But it's, it's all part of the character, sense. I guess. You kind of read my mind with uh, the next question I was going to ask, but I was going to ask, do you, with that approach that you take, being a bit more blunt, being a bit more straightforward, mm -hmm. and kind of stating articles as a matter of fact versus, hey, just wrote an article, like, let me know what you think. Thanks very much. <laughs> um, how do you deal with that negative feedback, like the angry DMs, uh, commentary from it? Like, do you just kind of ignore it? Like, what was mm -hmm. your approach there? I've, I've always been ridiculously thick-skinned um in life uh so and i've always been very blunt and the way i operate is it's just like i am honest at all times so like whether i'm right or wrong in my opinion or whatever it is just how it is and i know that yeah. especially online like the opinions of other people genuinely just don't matter especially if it's someone i don't respect who's not in the industry whatever it may be so if it's just some random guy who just responds they've got an egg profile picture and they say this is shit you should kill yourself <laughs> It's, it's, it's just either like, the egg or the anime profile picture. Yeah, or the anime. If they've got an anime profile picture and Overwatch in their bio, like it's an instant block because <laughs> they're just they're just arranged instantly. It's just like you've got nothing. No, there's nothing you can provide me that is of value to me. So yeah. why do I need to see your shit? So um, for, for me, it's just like 
the best thing to do online is just block people out. If if they're never going to add anything, if like they, if the only time they've ever interacted with you is to say that you should like jump up a bridge or something, it's like, okay, well, I don't need to see this. I can just block you and I will never ever think of you ever again. Like it, it's not, a, it's not a factor to me. So because I'm thick skinned in person, that helps. But um, I, I take it, like I think about like the fact that anonymity is a thing on the internet and that basically allows people to be really brave when they actually wouldn't be like that normally. If everyone had to attach their their pro like their actual picture and their name to their profiles, they would operate very differently. So if people don't don't present themselves that way, I automatically discount their opinion one way or the other. If they think I'm great or if they don't think think I'm very good at all, um, it just means nothing to me. It's just like it's almost like a video game. Like, I don't even see them as like real people. Like Twitter, I don't take super seriously anymore. I used to, and I used to get into an argument with absolutely everybody to prove my point was right. That's how I was like the first year, like real chip on my shoulder. Like I had to prove to people that I knew what I was on about because I actually didn't really know what I was on about. That's how you knew that was the case. It was almost like an insecurity thing. Like, oh, you think you can pick holes in this article? Let's go at it. Um, but with 140 and then 280 characters, you really can't get too much across. And I realized like yeah. it's a complete waste of time. I could lo- I could block them. And then in three minutes that that tweet is not going to be in my mind. And I will never think about that account ever again, because I didn't know them anyway. And if it's someone who I know who's providing negative feedback, like, or, or saying my uncle shit, or I don't know what I'm on about. Like, and I respect them. Okay. Let's have a chat. Let's have a private chat and you can inform me. And if I am wrong, then I've advanced my thinking and thank you very much. It's like, if it comes from a place of respect, it's very different from like a place of like internet trolling. It, it, it just doesn't mean much to me. Uh, they're just like non-playable characters in my mind, all these like anime profile picture, egg profile picture people, to be honest with you, mate. Makes sense. Well, awesome, man. I think we, I think we pretty much nailed everything there is to, to nail in terms of your approach to writing. So I kind of want to shift gears a little bit to, uh, as we get to the tail end of the show. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask a very open-ended question to go many different ways, but what are your thoughts on the current state of esports journalism or gaming journalism in general? Yeah, I, I, I like very explicitly and openly avoid games journalism in the Kotaku's and all of those shit houses, IGNs and stuff. Like they've all got agendas now. Um, it's all very, very like it's like political journalism or political act- activism or something like framed as games journalism so like you'll read a, a review about like cyberpunk or something and then like four paragraphs in they'll tell you why like trump needs beheading and it's just like i'm here for the games i don't care about that shit you know what i mean they're like this is why capitalism is bad socialism good and it's just like i'm not here for that so i yeah. i actively I, I don't mix with those people very well in person um they're not my kind of people because they're very like two dimensional or one dimensional. Realistically, they only care about that shit. Um, I like I like people who have a bit of nuance to them and a bit who I find interesting. So I have, I avoid games journalism like like the plague, mate. Um, obviously, there's a bit of that under Certo, but um, I just don't read it. So I, I can't I can't comment on on that stuff. But unlike esports journalism, it's interesting. Uh, I I've kind of vocally had a had a gripe with how like the competitive side of it is covered because if you look at like league of legends which is the biggest esport uh in the world um in the west at least i can't speak to the eastern journalism side which we tend to ignore quite a lot actually in our sphere on twitter and stuff like we never really acknowledge that the east has their own their own stuff going on especially on like the award shows and such but um yeah i i'd say you you see like six of the same interview or something like that. Like after a match, if it's like Vitality versus Misfits or whatever, and Misfits win, 
and um, you've got one of their players uh, interviewing and they're doing like three or four interviews. It's just the same shit every time. And it's probably the yeah. same in sports, but it's just, it's just boring. I don't think there's too much value in it. Like there's nothing that differs your content from the next person's. So I, I don't rate that at all. And actually I, I did like, um, I had a conversation and recorded a conversation with Yinsu Collins, who's um, now like a broadcast host for, for Valorant, like First Strike. But um, she she's journalist from like Sky Sports and, and Red Bull, Deserto, uh, Dart, all of those. Like she, she knows what she's on about a journalism major as well. Um, she was saying she actually thinks it's quite oversaturated, like esports journalism, especially when it comes to like the press side for games and such like League of Legends. It's just as like too, too many members of press because the, the barrier to entry is so low. So like if you've got a blog, you call yourself press and then you'll probably get access to like the press room at like LEC or something like that, especially when it's online at the moment. So um, it's actually hard for like the, the legacy media, the ones that are proven to create good content to actually get the, the, the focus they need uh, to put out a good article and thus they can't produce anything too great. And I think that's an interesting line of thought to, to go down. I haven't thought about it enough yet to fully present my own version of it. Yeah. But um, So she thinks it's oversaturated on like the reporting on the game, like the, the actual competitive match side of things. Um, on the business side, it's absolutely dire right now. There's There are people at esports observer and there are people at esports insider um i respect a lot of them uh but outside of the news reporting side of things it is not great it is probably oh jesus do i want to sound egotistical like i'm i'm <laughs> i'm i'm like leading the way there so bad right now it's insane in my opinion like jacob wolf obviously does good stuff on the investigative side that slowed down a lot last year because ESPN wanted him to do 50,000 different things and try and cover CSGO and everything else as well. Um, yeah. So he's kind of out of that a little bit, but it'd be interesting to see what he does now. He's at Dot and like thoroughly investigating things. Um, Kevin Hitt's broken some stories at Observer on the on the business side. Um, I, I think he's done them in, in bad faith a lot of time, actually, and they break a lot of embargoes over at the Esports Observer, which is pathetic. And so if you ever see me retweet a tweet, which is just the definition of uh, embargo, that's because they've broken a story early and uh, in an attempt to get more views than other people, and they never get penalized for it, by the way. And that's something that no one ever talks about, but it happens like once a month. Uh where everyone's agreed to, yeah, yeah, you like 2 p.m. We'll post about this this story, so we're all on yeah. time. Like, is every, everyone's abided by it? And at 1 p.m., they'll just bang it out and then go, "Oh, we didn't know. Sorry, we got it wrong." Because only I will ever discuss it. Only I will DM them and say, "What the fuck are you doing, man?" You know. Yeah. So I think that's pretty poor. Uh, I think there's a lot of substance and no style actually in in esports um, journalism and writing right now. Um, there's not too many people doing any, anything with any real flavor. It's all just like I spoke to X of X team and he told me that they want to win this split or is Call of Duty League going to be a success? It's just the same shit over and over. I'm, I myself am trying to like start some conversations and bring a bit of nuance to things and, and open, open some topics up that aren't really discussed too much. And I, I'm not going to be able to do that shit by myself. So I'm hoping other people step up. Uh, I'd love to see like yep. Richard writing a, a weekly column and, um i know dk does like his mailbag stuff so he's not just the reporting side but also like um his own opinions he does some op-eds but I, I don't i don't think it's too great so i think it's actually pretty boring like and and um there's a reason these publications are failing and that's because they're only focusing on one side of the industry uh, and there's reason that there's publications like dot and, and specifically deserto who are absolutely smashing it so like for example uh, deserto had 25 million unique um readers in december alone 25 million and when i was at esports insider um we were getting like 200,000 website hits a month 
So like think about think about yeah. like like the, the ceiling on on business content right now versus like covering yeah. the entire scope of the industry and treating it more as like a um a part of internet culture as a whole because that's what gaming is gaming is like pop culture now like that's it's a big part of the internet so i i think as a reason publications come and go i think we're, what's going to happen is in the next week or two we're going to see another major publication be announced with um, significant backing overpaying staff like mad i know this is fact overpaying staff like mad um likely covering esports mainly um over doing like a disserto approach and going like internet culture first and then and then having an esports section um they've got they've got big names but they're paying them an amount that cannot be recouped very quickly uh and the burn rate for for money for this publication is going to be mental and it's going to just repeat the cycle that we see where they come in they try and write about esports it's not entertaining it's not personality driven there's no it's not framed properly like no one wants to read 3000 words on why an Asian League of Le- League of Legends player um, is going to win next year? Like some op-eds I read on ESPN, for example, were just fucking shit. Like, who cares about esports fashion written by someone who isn't fashionable? I'm sorry, but it's just it's no one's going to read that shit. Um, like we're gamers. Like most of us are not fashionable. So no, I'm not going to read your shit. Uh, and I, d- I don't care. Like, and they always start with like it was a rainy Thursday night, and I was in a cafe <laughs> sat with X X player, and it's like. No, this doesn't work. We don't care about that. Like 13-year-olds don't care about that shit. They want the juice. They want the spicy shit. So I, I think as a reason, Deserto is absolutely thriving right now, whether people like it or not. Like people want to read it, right? It's the vocal minority that dislike it. Um, and, and there's a reason to capture so many eyeballs. Um, Esports Insider, Observer, Dot, all of them can learn from it. And Deserto can, can learn more as well and lean into it more. Um, but again, there's a reason they come and go every like six to nine months as a publication that disappears. It's because they're too insular. They think esports is just competition at this point and thus do not even have access to the eyeballs needed to be sustainable. And thus like the revenue models is just like, oh, we need ads and we've got some sponsored content and that's it. It's like, that's not really sustainable either. Mm-hmm. No one's tried a subscription model yet. I don't know if that'll work in every case. I think that's pretty dependent on having a massive readership anyway. And um, having some kind of mainstream notoriety probably helps. Um, so I don't think that'll necessarily work in these parts. So I, I think there are some good aspects to it. Like I think we're doing all right, but uh, I, I definitely think there's a long, long way for us to go. There are about fifty thousand different <laughs> like uh, little notes I have on how we can improve things. But also myself, I I don't know too much. I'm relatively inexperienced. Like the getting paid to write and stuff. I've been doing it like five, four, five years now. I, I'm, I certainly don't think I have media worked out, but I know it's going more personality driven. If you look like Morning Brew and, and what they're yeah. doing there, they're a really interesting case study. They just got purchased, uh, majority owned, but um, they're just doubling down on what they're doing. They got pur- purchased by a traditional publication, but they're allowing them to do their own style of yeah. um, of work, right? And, and that's a really interesting case uh, for how this will go in the future and like the future of media. I, I think it's going to be a lot more I think like the person is the new publication. I think like the personality is the the new news source. So if you look like Jake Lucky, for example, he wherever wherever he goes now, he's gonna have eyeballs. I I so yeah. my my video with him, he thinks like if he left esports talk, he would have nothing left. He'd have to start afresh, and he couldn't be more wrong. People are there for him. So like uh, the personalities like him, Richard Thorin, Slasher, like them or love them, like they command an audience, and they're always gonna be super valuable, especially in media. Sorry, that was Definitely. a massive vomit. That's that's what happens when they get no, a really that, open-ended that, question. I had to that is exactly brain, brain fire all out. 
Now, what what are your thoughts on the ESPN situation? That happened a while ago when they kind of, I think they cut their esports division or, or something like that. I could be wrong there, but yeah. something happened over there. Um, what what are your thoughts on that? And do you think that it makes sense for traditional sports outlets to to bother with esports, or do you think it should be something that if you're going to go into esports, like it should be a endemic sort of gaming publication like Deserto, like the mm-hmm. esports insiders of the world and, and stuff like that? Yeah, I think there's definitely room. I think like once the readership grows for the competitive side, uh, whoever wants to be somewhat responsible for that, then good luck to you. But um, then it would fit in on a on a sports website, right? Uh, I th- I think just yeah. having that element uh, could work, but it, it relies on esports' adoption into like mainstream sports, traditional sports more first, or else it'll always forever be a gimmick. But also, I don't think sports writers are going to be able to cover esports the way that esports writers do. The people who are actually in the scene, like I wouldn't try and go report on football and I wouldn't join the athletic. Like It's just not it's not going to work, you know? So um, I think it's reliant on that. Like You can see like the BBC are, are trying to do bits and bobs right now as well uh, with, with documentaries and... and um, and actually broadcasting the matches, and I've had like a live news ticker and all this kind of stuff before with live blog updates. But um, with with ESPN, it was a case of I don't think they knew the esports audience too well, or like the the larger gaming audience. So as I say, like if you look at what they covered initially, it was like oh, we're going to invest in like long form investigative pieces, and they had they had three long form writers there, well two long form writers and Jacob, who's obviously a, a breaking news reporter, uh, who also can do the longer investigative side of stuff um, outside of breaking news. Um, and then things change because what inevitably happens is the publication or the corporate entity above it realizes there's not enough eyeballs there. So then they have to move to the next phase of the plan, which is, okay, let's try to get as many eyeballs as possible, which means covering games. Um, and therefore you're covering the shit everyone else is already covering. Like you're not really doing anything new there. So you can see on like, they were doing like Tony Hawk content and stuff on ESPN esports. And it's yeah. like, what the fuck is this? You're framing it as esports and it's not esports. So that's actually jarring for an audience anyway. Um, yeah. And then it's content anyone else can do unless it's an interview. And then like people are following you because you're Jacob Wolf and you're an esports reporter, not because you think Valorant is going to be more successful casually than CSGO or something. Obviously, that's just a random example, one I made up, unless he did write that and then I'm a prophet or something. But, um, you know, I, I, I think they didn't know the audience and then they were forced to pivot and they were stretched too thin. And you've got these people who are, who are experts or so-called experts in their, in their areas and then force them to look outside of it and do other things. And that's a, that's a waste of personnel and thus a waste of money. And um, it just it didn't, didn't stick. Like the video content they were forced to do didn't land because besides Arda, they, they're not video personalities at all. They're pretty stiff, they're awkward. The gamers, look, like the gamers, like, I, I'm sorry, Emily Rand's on the LCS broadcast now, but like, look at the video. She's, she's just not, she just, she's no Arda. She doesn't have the charisma and stuff as like Arda does, right? Like he's born for that shit. He's 20 years into broadcasting. Um, so you, you look at their video content and, and like, it wasn't like the thumbnails weren't good. It wasn't framed very well. Like the content, like when you actually click into it, it wasn't great because they're writers, not necessarily um, like on camera talent. So I think it was just like a, a storm of shit there, to be honest with you. They had like some, like mainly good writers. I, I think Jacob Wolf's really great. I think uh, Theon and, and Emily were massively overrated because they got like some ESPN buff. Personally, I believe that. Um, and, and and they got stretched too thin because the results weren't there and then they weren't happy. And then 
inevitably ESPN didn't actually see an upside to it because they were too late and they were they were understaffed and, and overworked and uh, it, it was inevitable they were going to pull out at some point. I think we all knew it. The writing was on the wall. Like Jacob uh, told me a long time before um, ESPN announced it was closing that he was going to leave at the top of this year anyway. So uh, I knew that was coming and I thought that signaled the end, to be honest with you. And they are still going to cover esports, they say, but um, they're not going to have like dedicated staff towards it. And I just think it's going to be a waste yeah. of time. I don't yeah. think like I don't care about what a basketball reporter thinks of like the NBA 2K League really, um, and no one cares about the NBA 2K League ex- outside of like three thousand people who will actually read about it maybe. So yeah. uh, good luck to them. But I, I don't think like um, a traditional sports website will ever lead the way in esports coverage. Um, I, I think it'll be more um, they can they can kind of service esports the way they service sports right now. So if you think of like um, live match updates and like score updates and such, I think that yeah. may work in the future when esports, like in 30, 40 years, if, if slash when esports is like common um, among the public. Um, but until then, uh, just stay out of it, boomers, and, and let us work our magic. Makes sense. And, and second to last question before we wrap up the interview, um, with – all the work you've done in researching and writing articles in the the genre of business and esports, what do you think is a trend or something that's going to develop within esports in the next one to three years that's going to be it's going to be big? Um, we we say this every year, and I do believe it. I think like media rights is yeah. um, probably the 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 biggest um, revenue stream that we don't have just yet really ESL are doing pretty well blasted pretty well last year as well at acquiring some broadcast partners LEC are doing a pretty good job as well um probably larger lol esports is doing pretty well to be fair um but we don't know the the money behind them because it's all smoke and mirrors of course um so i think every year we say this is going to be the thing that really drives new revenue in but tournament organizers are really dependent on on like people buying buying shit at stands at events and the tickets at events and sponsorship. Like if they, if we could have like um, the broadcast revenue as well, that would help them to diversify and, and thus not have to sell themselves out as much or like not price stuff ridiculously. Um, and as esports grows more popular publicly, then like the TV stations want to get in more. Uh, I don't know if like the esports audience will ever switch to television, but it'll be a good discovery tool for esports. Um, so like esports on the BBC there's no reason for me to watch it on the BBC over Twitch or YouTube, but yeah. um, the people who are BBC watchers uh, already who, are, who have the pay TV license in the UK and, and are just looking for something to watch, they may stumble upon it. And if there's no sports going on, but they can see CSGO, for example, or Rocket League and they're a football fan and they see Rocket League, they'll be like, okay, I can kind of get into this. And then they see the excitement of a match if it goes down to like 3-3 and it's like... Um, it's like the next goal wins and, and the casters are going crazy and there's a goal where it's absolutely insane. Maybe then that can sell them and it serves as a discovery tool and we funnel them into esports that way. I think um, that that is something I'm, I'm hopeful for. I think we'll see some of that. Uh, but yeah, it probably will probably be more like three years instead of the one year as to when like media rights deals are really substantial. But like I'm sure you saw like the, the headline about the um, Billy Billy acquiring like the Chinese yeah. uh, broadcast rights to the League of Legends World Championship for three years. So this is just one event, once it once a year, an event for three years, and it was I think it was like 113 mil or something like that, or maybe like 89 mil. I can't remember right now, but like it was absolutely insane figure. Um, 
And that's one of the only kind of public figures we've got. And it's been basically confirmed to be behind the scenes by people at Riot that that was a very accurate number. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, I think it was like $113 million, I think, um, which is absolutely bloody insane, right? So Crazy. that shows a, um, a, little, a little insight into what is available to tournament organizers and broadcasters um, as esports becomes more accepted and, and known in the public sphere, I guess. So that's, some, that's something I'm really interested in and that's something I covered a lot last year at Esports Insider before moving over to Deserto. Awesome. And the last question I have for you today is super important one, so no pressure. But do you drink coffee? And if so, how do you drink your coffee? I do drink coffee and I, I, went, um, I went vegan last year, right? Okay. So... It used to be a very milky coffee with two sugars. Yeah. And then I went to like almond milk and then I was like, eh, it's nice. Um, but now um, you're gonna, I'm going to get judged heavily for this, but I will not drink coffee after 12 p.m., which I think is important because you need to get the co- coffee night system so you can sleep well. I will not drink yeah. caffeine after 12 p.m. Uh, unless it's a treat. Like today, like I'm drinking this, which is caffeine, but like I will not drink a coffee after that. And it's straight black, nothing else in it. It's just coffee beans and it's some hot water. And, and that is it. It took me maybe like three weeks for me to actually like it, <laughs> to be completely honest with you. Um, I just, I know a lot of people um, really love like black coffee and I didn't understand it, but I was like, oh, if I do it enough, I'll just get used to it. So I'm a black coffee guy now. I'll have one or two in the morning when I'm working and, and that's it, mate. What about yourself? Because uh, I hope you're um, a black coffee drinker as well. I am. I'm a, I'm a cold brew drinker. So it's, I drink it black too. So I don't, I don't drink, uh, I don't have milk in it. I mean, I don't by default lactose intolerant. So that's out of the picture anyway, (laughs) but, um, cold brew, um, not really sure how I got into it, but I just got into it and haven't turned back. I would say a close second is just straight black coffee. That's always good. The only answer that Mm -hmm. I really just is iced coffee. It's like cold brew and iced coffee are very different. Like iced coffee is watered down. Cold brew isn't. So that's my thoughts on that. I haven't had anyone say I This is where I annoy you a bit. Because when when the pandemic is over, the first thing I'm doing is going to a Starbucks or a Costa and getting an iced latte. I'll be honest with you, mate. Uh, I miss them. I miss it a lot. Uh, Iced drinks for me, it's either that or it's going to be black coffee. But I just kind of um, forgot iced drinks exist because of the the circumstances. I can't go and buy one, you know. Uh, so you, what, you you're not you're not a fan of the iced drinks. No, I I am. I drink cold brew every day. I drink it iced, um, just specifically iced coffee, okay. like the the water down right, stuff. Okay. I mean, like iced latte, totally fine. Just the just the plain iced coffee, just not right. Not the not the way to go. I appreciate it, mate. You you obviously know more, more about coffee than me, so uh, I'll I'll make sure to to heed your advice and, uh, and think carefully well, about my coffee choices in the future. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show. This was a super fun chat. Uh, it's been over an hour. It feels like we've been going for like 20 minutes. I keep going for even longer than this, but I really appreciate you stopping by. I know I learned a ton. Um, I really hope the audience did as well. And just want to say thank you for coming on. And where is the best thank place? Thank you very much, mate. Where's the best place for everyone to keep up with, with your work, your articles, what you're posting? Um, where should everyone go? I'd say just go to my recently verified Twitter account at Bayard and Fitch and uh, you'll see everything there. That's basically 
what what my web my website should be the center of my online presence, but it's it's really Twitter. That's uh, where my thoughts go, and I share share everything. So I'd, I'd say just there instead of asking them to follow it like seventy nine different places, you know. So um, yeah, by at by Adam Fitch on Twitter, and and thank you for having me on, mate. I appreciate you shooting your shot, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to chat. Awesome. Yeah. If you guys want to follow Adam on Twitter, the um, his Twitter at is on the screen right now. If you're watching via video, if you're listening via audio, I'll put it in the show notes below. And for everyone that tuned in, I appreciate you sticking around all the way to the end. Really enjoy, really hope you enjoyed this. And if you did happen to enjoy it, you found value out of it, I uh, would really appreciate you sharing this on your Twitter timeline with a friend, however you want to do that. I uh, just would really appreciate that. And with that, I will see you in the next interview.